Hey y'all and welcome back. Before we get into this week's episode, I want to start by reminding everyone that I am starting to work with folks in a one-on-one setting. I'm coaching individuals, couples, and athletes. And so if you're interested in working with me, go over to www.nicobarraza.com. I will throw the link in the description. I would love the opportunity to work with you if you feel like it's a good fit. Um, You can read a little bit more about some certain things I work on with people in the coaching one-on-one sessions. Everything right now is online. So we do all of the sessions through Zoom. If you live uh, relatively close to me, I'm totally open to meet up in person as well too. But I wanted to throw that out there. I'm absolutely loving this one-on-one work. It's definitely like speaking to my soul. Definitely what I'm supposed to be doing right now. So go head over to www.nicobarraza.com. Check it out. Hey y'all, good morning. So I'm also launching a YouTube channel. That's what we're doing right now recording live. And uh, a lot of the podcast episodes I'm going to be working on over the next couple of weeks here to get them live so you can see uh, the video chats with all the guests because there's a certain piece of um, conversation that's sort of lost when you can't see someone's facial expressions and hand gestures. And uh, people have been asking me to start a YouTube channel for a bit now. Um, I run YouTube channels for a handful of clients that I work with. So I finally have some time. I'm going to start rocking my own and probably pump out a video once a week. So go over there and follow me. Um, I will post a link to the channel and hopefully you enjoy the content there as well. So a huge question I got asked a couple weeks ago that a handful of people wanted me to make a solo podcast episode on was uh, what it was like to be raised by a single mom in a Hispanic family. Where I grew up, I talk a lot about um, you know, working on ourselves as individuals and that allows us to be healthier parents, healthier friends, healthier lovers. And I think it's a really good topic and a, and a great subject to discuss. So um, I was born down in Tucson, Arizona, and I grew up to a single mom. She's Hispanic. She uh, coincidentally was the first person in our family to get a graduate degree. She got two master's degrees, one in uh, education, one in library science, and she worked her butt off um, you know, her entire young life. But she had me when she was 23 years old uh, with a a man that she was, you know, in a relationship with, but they weren't, it wasn't like something crazy serious. Uh, They didn't plan on getting married. And, um, you know, I think, uh, one of the things that I really, um, have great respect for is her, is her decision to, to have a kid. You know, I mean, you know, being 23, my mom was very much still a child in so many ways. You know, I, I find myself very privileged uh, because when I was 23, I was looking at traveling, going to grad school, not having a kid, you know, doing all these things that you can do at that age if you don't have the responsibility of raising a child. And I think um, a lot of folks have kids at an early age if they're, you know, if it's unexpected or expected, if they're planning on it, but, and I don't think there's like a right or wrong way to go about this, but I do notice some inherent privilege in my life, uh, being able to have these experiences uh, and not having to worry about, you know, being the father to a child or, you know, having a romantic partnership that's stable enough and functional enough to raise, uh, children in, in a healthy way. So I just want to point that out first, cause I feel like, you know, I, I have the privilege or I've had the privilege of, of living that. And now I'm at a point where I think I can be a parent, uh, with, with, you know, uh, if I'm in a secure partnership where it's, you know, mutual and understanding we're working on our stuff together, um, because I've had all this life experience, you know? And so my mom had me, she was 23 years old. Uh, she, you know, she was alone. My, my father left pretty much a year or two after that. He wasn't really involved in my life at all. Um, 
and when we'll get to that, we'll get to like, you know, if I had resentment at a, at a young age, uh, if I do anymore, you know, we'll talk about that too. But it was really her and my two grandparents, my Nana and my Tata, who, uh, you know, it's my Hispanic side of my family, which is the, the, the uh, culture and race I was raised in. Um, they really helped her a lot, you know, as far as parenting goes, um, they stepped in a ton. And I realized that not everyone has that, you know, a lot of folks, they're just, you're a single mom, you're a single dad, and that's all you have. You don't have any other support system. So, you know, she also was helped in that way, which was huge, either financially or just, you know, time-wise, if she was in graduate school or if she had to work or if she was doing her hours, you know, getting her teaching license or certs, uh, you know, I, my grandparents would step in and I was pretty much with them as much as I was with her. It was kind of this, you know, family unit of three. But uh, my mom and my grandparents, you know, they they weren't devoid of their own trauma, right? They amazing people. But uh, my mom specifically, you know, she struggled from a ton of mental and emotional health stuff when I was younger. And, you know, again, this is not uh, a critique of my mother. She did the best she could. But, you know, she um, we only know what we know. You know what I mean? And at the time, um, with her age being 23, she'd gone through a lot of trauma. She gone through her own set of shit. And a lot of times, you know, especially in my younger years, like after I, you know, was not a toddler anymore, maybe from ages like four or five to, you know, um, when I first started to get into like middle school, um, and even high school, you know, a lot of times she would take out her, uh, you know, her inner turmoil on me. And I think a lot of parents, a lot of us, as parents, people do that. Right. Um, and I think one of the questions that kind of comes off of this broader question of what was it like, uh, to be raised by a single mother? I think, I think the real question is like, how as single parents can we improve, right? Like what can we do to ensure that we're, you know, the, the healthiest and giving our, giving our kids the best possible chance at a, at a healthy outcome. And I think that's like the bigger question because I can talk about my experience all day, which I will, but I'm also going to relate it more towards what are the things we need to look at if we are single parents. And, and this applies to people that are in relationships too. Like if someone has a, a full family dynamic, meaning a, um, two parenting figures. Right. Uh, so I think the first thing is like, you know, my mom had a lot of trauma and like a, every parent does. Right. And she was amazing. I, I have so many great memories of you know, my mom taking me to practice, her doing, uh, you know, telling me she loves me doing these things that, that are, that were wonderful. That really, you know, made me feel loved. And then I have a ton of memories of her screaming at me, yelling at me, you know, cussing at me, um, taking out, you know, her anger, her frustration at me as a young, as a young boy. And I think, you know, a lot of us do that. Right. And, and it's not always like explicit like that. A lot of people like have conditional love giving, right. Where they like, they'll like ref withhold love from their child until their child does a behavior or an action. They want them to be like, clean your room. I'm not going to like appreciate you until you do that or get straight A's or be a great athlete, you know, and those things are just as unhealthy, right? We need to, we need to also look for the implicit things, the sort of unconscious things, um, within our childhoods, because again, this all relates back to my experience as a child and how that's proliferated in my relationships and how I want to change the unhealthy parts, harness the healthy parts so I can be, you know, the best lover, the best partner, the best parent, the best friend, the best member of society and greater community that I can be. Right. So, you know, I, I also want to, first of all, first of all, acknowledge the inherent difficulties that it is to be a single parent with minimal support. Right. It is, uh, it's extremely difficult. And so to anyone that's a, a single parent, my heart goes out to you. I feel for you. It's, um, you know, it's incredibly difficult to do it well and still maintain a healthy life yourself. Cause you have, 
you have so much other stresses, you know, that you can't share that burden with. So there is, of course, that there's a lot more responsibility with being the solo um, responsibility holder in in a parenting dynamic. Yeah. So, you know, the interesting thing is uh, I saw I was modeled a lot of healthy things from my single mother and modeled a lot of unhealthy things. And I think you know, I was, I was really close to her when I was young. And then as I got older and started to know these patterns, I didn't want them. They didn't suit me. You know, I I became to sort of, I ran into this like crossroads of like, you know, I want to accept my mom and love her, but I don't want to force a relationship with her when there's some things she does when I'm around her or how I feel when I'm around her that I don't feel safe or I don't feel as comfortable. And that's okay. I can still love her. Not, not like break my boundaries every time. Right. And I've had to grow into that as an adult because many times in my, you know, um, between 18 and maybe 24, when I was going through college, I kept like, you know, trying to do the same thing over and over again to have this, uh, relationship that just wasn't possible at the time. Right. Like again, for someone, for two people to grow, whether it's a romantic relationship or a parent child dynamic, you have to create a new container and both sort of change yourselves. Right. And be open to that. A lot of times, sometimes pain is too great and people don't want to change or don't want to give another person a chance. And that's entirely a personal decision. It's up to the, the individual. Um, but I think, you know, if we just go back to like sport when I was younger, you know, I remember going to the baseball fields and I was always a super athletic kid. I was always a, a bigger kid for my grade, you know, um, strong kid, uh, very fast. I was always super fast in sports. Uh, you know, I grew up just with like a ball in my hand or, or, or ice skating or, you know, that's one thing my mom or grandparents did. They exposed me like, what do you want to do? You want to play music? Do you want to go play hockey? Do you want to play baseball, basketball, football, tennis, whatever, you know, go do it. Um, and that I just developed, you know, I was already had, you know, um, great genetics as far as being an athlete, but I developed that. And so when I got into competitive sports, like right when I was maybe around nine years old, you know, it's that, it's that classical scene of like, you know, I saw the dads throwing, you know, baseballs with their sons at, you know, the field I was playing at. And uh, my grandfather, my thought that would take me out. And he was, he was always sort of my father figure, you know, without him, without that role of the masculine in my life, I I don't know where I would have gotten that from. You know, I had a couple, uh, uncles that were, that I was close with as well too, but really he was, he was sort of the male role model, you know, 24 seven in my life. And so he would take me, you know, and and take me to practice sometimes. And, and, you know, we'd go like, you know, you want to go throw some balls or hit some balls out, you know? And I'd be like, yeah, of course, but it was, it's different, right? It's, it's just a different relationship with your grandfather than with your father figure. So when I go to the fields and see, you know, uh, you know, my, my peers, my, my friends that would have dads that would go, or they were the coaches, they would show up all the time. You know, I think they're probably, I didn't notice at the time, but there was probably some, you know, pain in there as a young, as a young boy. Cause I was like, you know, why does not my dad, um, you know, why isn't he here? You know, where is he? At? Am I like not good enough? Am I like, he just love me, you know? Um, and I think as I got older, I just realized that he's young when they had me and he made his own decisions. And I started to let go of that resentment or that pain. It just, I had a really blessed life in many ways. I, I want to say that, you know, my mom did, did as good a job as she could. And so did my grandparents. And, and it could have been, I could have had far less. There's, there's people that are raised with, with far less than what I had. Um, but you know, I would see this, this happen and, and it would just make me work harder. You know, it would make me work harder and I, I would, you know, train more and I could see a lot of, um, resentment being built up by some, uh, some of the kids I was playing against and with their fathers. Cause their, their fathers would be like, I'm, I'm working with my kid, you know, five days out of the week. And then here's this Barraza kid that comes out and he's striking my kid out. He's hitting, you know, like home runs off my kid and he doesn't have debt, you know, like what am I doing wrong? And I think it's just, I've always had that internal drive, um, of like, I'm going to do it myself, you know? And there's good things and bad things about that. I'll get into that because I learned that from being, I didn't, you know, I was a solo child, only child. So 
I was very much solo. I had a lot of close friends. I, I was, you know, I, I had a lot of cousins that I was, you know, around my, around my same age sort of. But, uh, I think part of being deprived of having a father in my life in that way, I was always like working harder than everyone else that did to sort of prove something. You know what I mean? And it wasn't until, I don't know, kind of recently where I was like, a lot of times I was like trying to prove it to other people versus just like, you know, and it's hard because if you don't have that, the role models that you need when you're in your young saying you're enough, you know, we love you. My, my mom and my grandparents, they did do that. I won't, I won't say that they didn't, but I still is that, you know, young teen or young adult, I was very much like, you know, I want to prove to everyone that, that like I'm, I'm the best out here. It doesn't matter what I, what I came from. Right. Um, and so I think that that is indicative of a little bit of, of growing up without, you know, uh, an actual father in my life. Now, my mom, she did everything she could. She was like, all, she was a disciplinary figure. You know, she tried to be soft when she could, um, you know, while still dealing with her own mental and emotional health. That was really hard. Like, I, you know, I know that as a young kid, a lot of the stuff she took out on me, you know, I started to notice patterns in my adult relationships being like, wow, this is, this is something unhealthy that I learned that my mom would do to me. You know, um, this is something unhealthy I learned that my nana, my grandmother it would do to me and my, my thought that would do to me. Right. And, um, I think that once I really started to look at that as an adult and appreciate, so I appreciated the healthy things they did always. I always have respect and humility for um, what they gave, what they sacrificed to raise me. But within that grace, within that humility, within that respect does not mean I have to be devoid of reality of the unhealthy things that did happen to the unhealthy behavior patterns that they were sort of reenacting throughout my young life and adult life. And the reason I think it's so important to, and this has, doesn't have just to do with single parenting. This has to do with everything, every sort of, you know, childhood experience. But if we don't look back and see the unhealthy and healthy parts, we can't truly be accountable that once we get to a certain age, it's not our parents' responsibility. They're not going to, if they change, great. If they don't, that might be the case, but we can't like rely on just blaming them because of the, our circumstances, right? If, we're, if we start to behave in certain ways or show certain patterns, that's on us. We have to ultimately uh, take accountability and change, right? So I think as I got older, I started to do that. But when I was younger, I really was just like, blame, like you know, my mom would like, scream at me this way, or yell at me this way. I would very much uh, feel like, you know, that's, and it was wrong. Like the treatment, it's not saying the treatment wasn't wrong and that she wasn't wrong in behaving that way. But I think it's really important that I own it now as an adult. It's mine to own. There's my learned behaviors, right? Um, and so I think like being a single parent, again, like I said, it's incredibly difficult, but that doesn't absolve us as single parents, right? From the responsibility that we had a kid or kids and we are responsible for raising them in the healthiest environment and healthiest way we can. That doesn't mean we're not going to slip up. This is not a pursuit of perfectionism, y'all, right? It's not that. Um, it's just about being real with, you know, the slip ups we make, we have to make sure they're not huge ones, right? It's like you're kind of putting parameters or like if you've been to a bowling alley, right? You put the, the, the rails up, um, you know, to kind of guide the ball to hit the, hit the pins. And, and you, you definitely need to do that with your shadow, with your trauma as an adult, especially when you're parenting, especially when you're a loving relationship. Um, and I'll tell you why, because 
you know, if you, if you allow yourself to be triggered or you blow up or you shut down, or you withhold love, or, you know, you don't provide compassion or you don't start, you don't keep open yourself as parents. We must keep opening ourselves in parenting. We must open with our kids. It doesn't mean we, we can't be disciplinary figures. It doesn't mean we can't say no to them. It doesn't mean we can't be stern, but we have to continue to open so that we show them that like, you know, we're learning, we're able to admit we're wrong when we're wrong too, right? That's really a good thing to model for your children. And, you know, I think my mom said, you know, she's sorry a couple times when I was younger, but really, you know, my, my grandparents, my mom, they, they really didn't say, they didn't really didn't apologize a lot. You know, um, as a child, I was expected to apologize, but I didn't hear them apologize to each other, specifically when they would hurt, you know, they would scream at each other, yell at each other or shut down. Or, you know, I remember when my grandparents would get in fights, like when it was a bad one, my grandfather would just like storm out of the house, slam the door, go on a drive, you know, and that's just what he did. And as I got older, I was like, that's, you know, it's what he needed to do in his mind. But really the healthier thing would have been if he was able to sit down with my nana, my grandmother, and they were able to talk about it and get to some form of resolution, you know, they would get that, get that on their own way. Again, I'm not trying to impose my view of a healthy relationship onto them because they had a pretty healthy relationship. But, you know, I think that that's what worked for them at the time. That's what they knew. Um, You know, I don't, I don't know if they ever went to marriage or couples counseling, but they were married for 58 years until my grandfather passed away in, in 2012. And, you know, they had a great relationship in many respects and they struggled in others, just like most. Um, and I don't think that the time they were together is indicative of the health of the relationship, but they really did enjoy being around each other for the most part. You know, after 58 years, they annoyed the shit out of each other. You know, um, they got angry, they got they shut down, they got pissed off this and that, but ultimately they, I think they did have a good time. You know, they laughed at each other. They, they, they enjoyed being around each other. I think that's really, that's the litmus test for, for healthy relationships. Um, just in terms of like the health and longevity. Um, okay. But back to, uh, back to being a single parent. So yeah, I, I'm, you know, when I was younger, it was kind of like my mom would teach me these, these sort of coping mechanisms, you know, like she's like, if you, you she would tell me, she's like, it's not your fault that your dad's not here. It's my fault. And put it on herself. And she really was trying to do her best to sort of, you know, uh, make me feel better about it. But she was putting a ton on herself. Like, I don't know if it was really just my mom either. It's just sometimes things just don't work out and that's okay. You know? Um, and I didn't really think about it very much. I think when she would bring it up, it was more like she was trying to soothe herself because she was feeling, you know, um, devoid of, of connection or something like that. But as a young kid, I really didn't, it was like my normal was normal. You know, I never, I never knew what it was like to have a dad. So I never, uh, I never thought it was abnormal. Like, honestly, you know, I was pretty, I was pretty okay with it as a kid for most of the time. And that's just, I think it's a testament to, you know, how much my, my mom and my grandparents did show up for me, which, you know, I love them all dearly. And I, I really appreciate what they gave me. Um, but I think it's really important. The one thing is that we have to practice self-awareness and even more so as single parents, because, you, you're the only one that your kids have, right? Even if your grandparents are involved and even if, let's say, even if you're in a partnership, if you're in a, a marriage, like both of you have to practice self-awareness because that is what allows you to be a conscious parent and a conscious partner is practicing more and more self-awareness. So catching yourself when you're like triggered or you're responding, you're getting angry at your kid for something that's within you that has nothing to do with them. And let's say they're doing something that does need to be disciplined. You discipline them, you know, in whatever way that you think is healthy, that you see fit. Um, but it's not a discipline. It's not a disciplinary action out of your trauma or out of your shadow or out of your anger. It's, it's, you know, level headed and it has a purpose and a, and an actual, um, end goal of 
providing a safe space for your kid to, you know, be able to be disciplined, but, but also be themselves and, and to do something better too. And also appreciate them for what they do well as well. Um, and I think that's super important, you know, whether you're a single parent or not. Um, I will say that like being raised by a single mom, it really gave me a certain resiliency and uh, a certain level of maturity at a very young age. And um, I think both emotional and mental maturity, because, you know, I remember being nine years old and I really had to, I had to cook a lot of times. Like my mom was struggling and I had to, um, you know, be there for her as emotional support at a young age. Cause she would come home from working, teaching kids with special needs all day with zero, uh, administration support. You know, it's classic as being a teacher. You make, you know, you make no money. Um, and she's two master's degrees. She's basically raising 30 other kids for eight hours of the day, five days a week, right? If you're a teacher, you know what I'm talking about. Um, it's a, it's a thankless job in a lot of ways. And as a society, we need to do better, really. I mean, we need to be teaching, we need to be paying teachers really well because it's one of the most important, if not the most important job in society. Um, and you know, I'd see her come home. And someday she'd be great. Someday she'd be struggling. She'd be lonely. She'd be crying. She'd be emotional. And so a lot of times I never knew what mama was going to get. Is she an angry mom? Is she going to be like a nice? Is she going to be calm? Is she going to be, you know, um, ticked off? And I think because of that, it created like a very much like hot and cold parental figure. That being said, I was, I always, you know, I was either, I would do my own thing as a kid. Trust me. I was, sometimes I was mean as a kid. Sometimes I was angry. Sometimes I was very compassionate. So I fluctuated too, but I think I, I played off my mom's emotional state. So I, I was able to sort of develop um, a very sensitive uh, approach to empathy, to dealing with others, because when I walked in the room, I had to be very aware of the energy, of how she was communicating, of her body language, of her, um, of her face, of everything, you know. And so, say my grandparents. So I became a very aware kid. And I think, uh, you know, she would tell me stories when I was little. I was a very quiet kid. I didn't cry a lot, even when I was an infant. But I would really like be staring at something, and, like just observe something for hours. You know, I was, I was, and maybe a lot. Of, all kids have curiosity. I don't know like that. I don't know if I'm unique. I'm not trying to say I'm unique in that way at all. But you know, I there is something to be said for like I had this incredible um, sort of insatiable curiosity uh, with people and with things around me. And I was always like I've always studied people, including myself. You know. Um, and I think that really is a testament to the amount of alone time I had. Like I didn't have two parents to run to. So if my mom was busy, she was working, I was at home alone a lot or out alone a lot and in my head thinking, you know, and so there's good things from that and not uh, good things from that too. Um, but I will say that like, I don't, I don't think I ever felt like deficient because I had a single parent at all. I just want all you single parents out there to know that. I don't think I ever felt deficient, um, which is awesome. You know, that's, that's great. My, my parenting figures did a great job to, to make me feel stable in that way. That being said, there were a lot of things that they could have done better. You know, um, I think that, you know, really if they, if all three of them would have been working on themselves more, you know, if they would have been going different generations, obviously, so I'm not imposing my generation sort of obsession with therapy now on, on theirs. But, um, I will say that, you know, if they would have been working on themselves in some way, you know, and I remember my mom in 1994, she was reading the book uh, Emotional Intelligence by um, psychologist Daniel Goleman, pretty famous psychologist, pretty famous book back then. And, you know, she was reading stuff like that back then. She really was trying, she really was trying, I think, but just a lot of the times things weren't changing. I think it was based on her circumstance. You know, she felt wronged by society, shorted by society a lot. Um, she had some physical health issues that came up at a very young age that I have, you know, a lot of empathy for my mom because she had to struggle, man. She's a fighter through and through. You know, I come from 
a woman that's a fighter. And uh, same thing with my two grandparents. You know, my grandfather, he came from a family. Literally, they would eat rice and beans. They grew up in Texas and Nebraska. Texas for his first six years, and they moved to Nebraska. His mom barely spoke English. Him and uh, his his mom and his dad. Um, his dad was a was a horse breaker, so a bronc rider. And his mom was just basically stay at home mom. She had sixteen kids around the nineteen thirties. That's crazy. Sixteen kids. I don't even know how that. I don't even know how that's physically possible. That seems like blows my mind. Um, but he was one of the oldest, um, and, and you know, he's experienced a lot of loss. He lost some of his siblings because not many siblings, something's bound to go wrong with a couple of them, right? At an early age. And, um, you know, he went to the military at a very early age, uh, you know, started to support the family. He was very much like a fatherly role for his siblings, even at a young age. And he like, much like myself, he had to grow up pretty quick, you know, but because of that, I think he was deprived of certain things as well too. And you know, none of us make it out of childhood unscathed, right? Let's be clear. Uh, I'm drinking some tea here, guys, some chai tea. Um, and I think, you know, when you combine that with my, the dynamics of my, my Nana, you know, she was uh, born a uh, Mexican-American family um, in Tucson, you know, grew up kind of, I would say kind of middle-class Hispanic family for the most part. Um, uh, cause her dad was like a contractor. He made decent money. Um, so she, I think was a little more well off than my grandfather, although both of them were like lower to middle class, right? This is, this is in the, you know, Hispanic, uh, culture, um, between the 1930s and, and 1950s. So, um, you know, but by all means they were still like lower end of the socioeconomic strata, uh, for where they, for where they grew up. And, um, you know, I think both of them, they did the best they could with their kids, right? They, my grandfather and grandmother, they had, um, four boys. And then my mom is the youngest. And it's interesting because my experience with my Tatha is, um, is quite different than my experience with, uh, or sorry, my experience with my grandfather is quite different than the, the experience, the experiences his sons had with him, right? Um, they remember him as a different figure. He was like this militaristic disciplinary figure, very loving, but he was harder. He had, he had more edges, you know, when he was younger. And as he got older, when my mom had me, especially he had a soft spot in his heart because I didn't have a dad, you know, so he really stepped in because this was his, this was the son of his only daughter. You know, I think, I think there's a soft spot there for men. Um, and you know, when I came, um, into life, he was in his late fifties and a lot softer, you know, a lot, a lot older, a lot more wise. And as we get wiser, I think as human beings, we, we end up softening more and opening more. Honestly, that's usually where wisdom leads us. And he was a completely different father. I mean, he was stern when I was younger, you know, he would definitely discipline, discipline me. Um, you know, I needed that as a young boy. I got to say, I needed that because you know what I'm talking about too. When you, when you're just with your mom, you can get away with shit. And then, you know, my, my thought would come in and be like, all right, I get the belt out. You know, you're not listening. <laughs> and I'm not saying that I like, you know, support this if, if that's not your jam, but I honestly needed it as a kid. Cause there were some things I was being a travieso if you know what that means in Spanish. Um, and, uh, you know, it only happened a couple of times, but I, I really respected him for doing that as I got older. Cause I was like, you know, if I didn't have that energy, that like stern masculine energy in my life, man, I would have been trying to get away with way more shit. Honestly, I needed that. Definitely needed that. It's like when the, you know, when the, um, sort of, you, if you think of like big cats and, you know, like lions and lionesses, like it's when like the dad like picks up the cub, you know, the cub's doing something wrong and like picks it up by like the back of its neck on that, on that fur that doesn't really, doesn't really hurt it, but it definitely feels, you know, <laughs> that's kind of what, 
what I, what I relate those experiences to. And my, of course my grandmother and my mom did those things from their end too, when I needed it. Um, but then sometimes, you know, their trauma would come out in an unhealthy way. You know, I would experience a screaming or, or cussing at a young age and, and, and they're human beings, you know, like this is not, I'm not recording this. So you all think that like, you know, this happened in my life. It, it happens to most of us. And, and sometimes it's not, like I said, it's sometimes it's not like explicit. Like I experienced where there's like rage, anger, shutting down. Sometimes it's very well hidden, especially in, um, in sort of more wealthy parts of society, you know, in cultures that are, that are higher up on the socioeconomic strata. Um, you see a lot of people, like it looks like their house is this white picket fence. Everything's perfect. You know, kids are, have all this opportunity, but then, you know, they, they don't feel like they're able to express themselves or the love is conditional or there's too much perfectionism. There's these other things, right? So I think we all have a responsibility to look at our own shit. And I've gotten to the point where I can talk openly about it because I wouldn't have started a podcast or, you know, I wouldn't be posting content, content like this if I didn't want to be open and vulnerable about this stuff. Um, but it's not so I can over, if I want to overshare, it's just that I think this helps you out there. Because when I've heard, when I've heard stuff like this, you know, on the internet or in person from people I connect with, I'm like, it makes me think, I'm like, oh yeah, no, totally. I could see this part now in my childhood where I was avoiding that I was like not taking accountability for where I was treated unhealthily. You know, I need to, I need to address that. I need to see, you know, how do I, how, cause I want to see that so I can be a better parent myself. Like I don't want to make the same mistakes that my grandparents and my mom made. I want to minimize them. But I want to take all the wonderful beauty and the love and the curiosity and the, you know, um, self-empowerment that they did give me and give that, give those to my kid or kids if I have children. Right. Um, and so it's not, it's not just about like looking at the negative. It's about looking at the positive too, holding on to the positive, but being real about the stuff that's not healthy so you can change it. Right. I think that's the most important thing. If you're a single parent or you're going to be a single parent or you're in a relationship or you have kids and you're in a partnership, whether it's, you know, your partner's meeting you or not, like you can only control yourself. And so you have to look at your trauma and your stuff and you know that, that will make you a better parent for sure. So yeah, raised by a single mom in the West side Barrios in Tucson. I played sports my entire life. Baseball was huge, but I also played like pop winter football, basketball, volleyball. Um, man, I went to, I talk about this on, on a, on a couple shows, but I went to a Catholic grade school most of my young life. So like first through sixth grade that really influenced, I think me at a young age too. Um, you know, Catholic guilt for sure was, was alive and present. Um, but as I got older and I got, I started to read more science and get more scientifically minded. I started to read more arts and literature and philosophy. My mind began to open more. And I was like, this isn't the only thing to believe in in life. You know, it's, it's nothing wrong with it, but, um, you know, I really started to pursue like, why are we believing it? Is it out of fear? Is it out of love? Is it because we're scared of dying? Is it because we're scared of not seeing our loved ones after death? You know, and again, this played a role into my single mom too, because she was my mom. I will say, although she ushered me, um, you know, and my grandparents ushered me into being Catholic because I was their kid. They were all very open, right? My single mom was very open when I would come with questions, you know, I'd be like, I don't know about this in the Bible. Or I don't know about this in school. You know, she's like, that's a good question. You should keep reading about it. You should keep asking about it. You know, um, you know, she would, she would always empower me to question authority when it was warranted, you know, not to have a problem with authority just because it's authoritarian. Like that's not, that's a trauma response in of itself, but to question authority when something is, you know, not sitting well with you just and to question it. If you have facts and evidence, you know what I mean? Like, like I, I don't believe in questioning things just because you disagree with something 
out of ignorance, you know, that's, that's going on a lot. Um, uh, especially outside of the scientific community, there's a lot of people that, you know, have never studied any sort of research in their life. And then all of a sudden they're like acting like they have the answer to, you know, um, the pandemic or anything online. And I think that's, uh, that's spreading a lot of ignorance. Um, science has done a lot of good. It's made a lot of mistakes for sure. Um, but it's our best, uh, it's sort of our best defense. I'm going on a tangent, right? You know, I think as I got older, I started to realize that I didn't feel as safe as I initially thought around my mother specifically. And when I say safe, I mean like, you know, when she would have emotional blowups or scream or shout, um, it's, it became to the point where it was too often for me really as a young, young man. And, uh, when I was 17, I actually, uh, this is like the, my senior, my last semester of senior year, I, uh, I remember my mom started screaming at me for something that was completely ridiculous at like 10 PM at night. Um, because she was just, you know, it, it was completely unrelated. She was stressed out with work or something else, but she was screaming at me for something that she was just taking it out on me. Right. And I was like, this is, this is the last time it's going to happen. So I packed all my shit, put it in my car at a car at the time. Um, and uh, drove to my grandparents' house, right? I drove, got my dog, drove to my grandparents' house, and I stayed with them for the last six months of my um, senior year, basically in high school, until I went to San Diego for college. Um, you know, my mom, I think at the time, she didn't think I was going to move out, but I was just told, I was like, look, I'm done with being treated like this, you know? Um, and then as I got older, I'm like, wow, if I treat other people like this that I love, you know, and I'm not having enough self-respect to to communicate in a healthy way, uh, you know, that's, that's on me. Right. So yeah, I moved out like super, like super prematurely early. And, you know, it, it was, it was the right decision for me for sure. Um, but I think that goes back to like not feeling safe for my mom. You know, I didn't want to feel attacked all the time. I didn't want to feel screamed at, you know, um, she didn't know how to handle her emotions appropriately and she's gotten better over time. Um, but that, that's the same thing for me. Like, you know, I think that, I'm always about expression of emotions. We have to, as men, as women, we have to be able to express emotions, but in a healthy manner. If you're just screaming at someone, if you're just like crying all the time, like overly, you know, emotional, that's not really like experiencing it. It's just like, you have to be able to share it with someone like once you get there. And I think a lot of times um, when I was younger, I was taught that the way to express your emotions is you get angry or you raise your voice, you get loud or you shut down or you leave, you walk out, you slam a door, you know, um, that's how you show like you're really angry. So the person starts listening, right? Because then like, oh, this person's serious because they're doing these things. And it's like, no, that's not healthy. Healthy way is to say what, what you're experiencing, why you think you're experiencing it. And is it really on the other person or is it on you? You have to be able to make that delineation. And that's the really healthy way. But a lot of times when we get into partnerships, right? you know, we try that for a year or two, we try our best, but then our little, our shadows come out, our inner children come out and then boom, we go back to whatever our old patterns were. Some people run away, shut down, avoid, you know, scapegoat, blame, point fingers. Other people scream, yell, curse, put down, you know, defamation of character, lose respect, cheat, all these other things, right? We can do. And I think, you know, we got to be really honest about, is it working for us? Are we putting in enough effort are we trying our best to communicate in a healthy way? And I'll relate this back to, again, this is episodes on single parenting, but you, you guys know how I do this. It's just, we're just rambling here. Um, hopefully you find value in the ramble. And I think if you're a single parent out there listening, 
to this, just work on your self-awareness. Work on yourself. Um, your kids aren't going to have a perfect environment, even if you were in a partnership. Really, it takes just as much work. Um, work on yourself. And I know you're exhausted and I know that it's tough to get up some mornings when you have no help and no support. I see you. I feel that. Um, I wish we had more support for single parents um, all over the world, but specifically in the country I live in too. Um, but building a community around you, that's huge. If you can do that, build a community where you can count on other people and they can count on you. So, you, so maybe you don't have family or um, friends that can step in, but you can have this community that you you know, trade responsibility with when, when you need it. But if you work on yourself, if you look at your own childhood trauma, your own patterns, man, it's going to help your kids so much because you're going to be able to catch yourself in those moments. Again, we can't change a pattern until we have the awareness that the pattern exists. And then by merely having the awareness that doesn't guarantee change, we have to have the awareness. And then when the behavior happens, it's unhealthy, catch ourselves and change it. It's a two-step process. First step's very hard. Second step is even harder, right? First step, to be aware of it, very hard to get there. You got to go through a lot of the weeds. Second step, to catch yourself when you're in it, when you're being triggered, when you are responding out of your shadow, your inner child, that's when you change it. That's when you reframe your mind. You're like, I'm going to breathe right now and I'm not going to respond like I normally do because that's not healthy. I'm changing my behavior pattern. You do that 30 to 60 times you have a new behavior. You've built a new habit. You've built a new you. That's how it works with human beings. Um, and that's how it works with parenting, whether you're a single parent or a partnership. And um, yeah, I mean, man, I wouldn't change my childhood for the world, y'all. Really, I had a great childhood. I'm so proud to have the last name of Barasa um, being the the son of my, my mom, uh, who I think is a very strong woman, um, is an honor. And same thing with my grandparents, you know, my, my grandmother, my grandfather doesn't mean they don't, my grandfather's not alive anymore, but it doesn't mean my, my mom, my grandma don't piss me off. Doesn't mean I can talk to them every day. I just, I can't, it's just a lot for me, right? I have my own boundaries that are healthy. I try to be as involved as I can while still building my life and giving back to myself. So, cause I want to have a family. I want to meet my partner. I want to do things like this too. Um, but I'm really appreciative of them and what they gave and what they sacrificed. And I think if you can get that to that point, if your adult kid is saying that, um, you know, you haven't done too bad of a job for sure. And sometimes you're going to slip up. Sometimes you're going to scream. Sometimes you're going to yell. Sometimes you're going to say the wrong thing. Sometimes you're going to hurt their feelings. But what do you, what do you do is you apologize and you mean it. And I don't mean like apologize because, Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I yell at you, but you really were pissing me off and you said this and that wasn't good. No, 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 no. That's putting the blame back on someone else. One of the biggest things I've learned in the past year is the appropriate way to apologize. And, and I'm thankful for reading the book, uh, Why You Won't Apologize by Dr. Harriet Lerner, uh, because I thought I was good at apologizing before that book. And man, I was not. I was pretty shit. Um, but read that book or just just think about the framework in your mind, like lay the foundation for like the apologies for the other person. Forgiveness is for myself. Right. If you forgive someone, it's really for yourself. You're letting go of it. So it's all up to you. It's on your timeline. When you apologize, it's really about, you have to mean it, right? You're sorry for something you did. If you're not sorry, don't apologize then because that's that's um, disingenuous. Like one of the, I think one of the worst things you can do uh, is apologize, say, oh, I'm sorry, sorry you feel that way and not mean it. Like only apologize if you mean it. And if you don't mean it yet, look deeply, like really come down to 
a conclusion where they're like, okay, this, did I really mess up? Did I do something hurtful here? If I, if I put myself in the other person's shoes, if I practice empathy? And if so, apologize. I mean, if not, you don't have to apologize because that's disingenuous. Just be like, look, I see that you're feeling that way. I still don't feel like I did anything wrong. It's okay to say that too. Okay to say that, but be open to discussing and communicating. And your partner hopefully will be open as well too and not just be such a stickler about, yes, you're wrong. You need to apologize right now. You know, again, therapy helps with that. Couples therapy helps having a third party in the room that's unbiased and, you know, trained to deal with these situations. That's really healthy. Um, but yeah, single parenting, man, I could go on for hours with this, you know, um, because I had so many experiences as a young kid that shaped me and a young man. Um, yeah, but I, I think, you know, as I now in my older age, I'm in my thirties now, I just, you know, my, my father, like I wish him the best. Uh, I, you know, I don't have any capacity currently. Like people have asked me like, do you ever want to pursue a relationship with your biological father? And I'm like, I'm not opposed to it. I just have so many other relationships with people that I'm building right now and things that I'm doing that that's where my energy is going. I'm making those people prioritizations because they put energy in, right? I don't have time to go chase a ghost. You know what I mean? So uh, if, if it works out at some point in my life for both of us, mutually sure i'm open to it you know what i mean like i I'm, i wouldn't be practicing what i'm preaching if i wasn't um that being said i also respect myself as a man and i respect my worth and i'm putting my energy and my prioritization into people that are prioritizing me and putting their energy into me too that doesn't mean all of our energies but like we are prioritizing each other right friendships relationships dating you know family members all that thing all that kind of stuff so yeah, if you're a single parent out there, uh, man, my heart goes out to you again. It's such a difficult job, but, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing what y'all are doing and it makes a huge difference. Again, the one thing I recommend work on yourself if you have the time. I mean, okay. Not if you have the time, you have to make the time y'all. I know like a lot of us don't have the resources to pay for therapy. It's expensive. I wish it was more affordable. That being said, there's books, there's resources, there's online courses, to look at yourself, to work on your stuff, to be a healthy parent. And, um, it all comes down to us. You know, we, we create our realities and by, and, and when, when, a, when a child is so young, we're, we're actually creating their reality too until they are an autonomous individual. And, um, you know, we really have to be responsible for doing the best we can. And I'm not saying when you slip up, like to, you know, completely crap on yourself and make yourself feel bad for it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you gotta be accountable but you got to give yourself grace and ultimately you have to put in the energy to see your patterns, to look at your family of origin, look at your history and build the best version of yourself you can. So that way your, your child or your children have the best version of the parent they could possibly get. And that will help them be healthier, more joyous, more empathic, more compassion filled adults as they get older. Thank y'all for being here. Really appreciate you tuning in. Um, if you're listening on YouTube, shout out to all y'all. Thank you so much for being on the channel. If you're listening to the podcast, Starve the Ego, Feed the Soul on Apple and Spotify, any place actually, you get your podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I'm glad you're here. Um, hit that like button, click the bell so you get the notifications. You know the deal. That's the YouTube thing. Leave a comment. Um, same thing with the podcast. Uh, 
leave a five-star written review on Apple, share the podcast, y'all. It really helps with engagement and engage with me on TikTok, Instagram. Just got a TikTok. Holy cow, man. I just swore I was never going to do it, but I'm on there at that Barraza boy. Same handle as Instagram. Get at me. And then if you're interested in working with me, I work with, uh, again, I work with single parents. If you want, if you're an individual, if you're a couple that wants to work with me, if you're an athlete, I really enjoy working with young athletes and older athletes alike. Um, I think the, the mental and emotional side of sport and of athletic pursuit is something that's very looked over and I can really help in those respects that will really affect your performance as well too. But, uh, any, anyone from individuals that are looking for to work on a host of things, you don't just have to be an athlete at all. Um, and couples again, as well too. Um, I'll throw a link in the description to the website, www.nicobarraza.com. Go check out the page. You can book appointments there and everything's through Zoom. Everything's virtual these days. So if you want to work with me, I'd love the opportunity to work with you. And at the very least, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're enjoying the content. Please share this video. If it resonates with you, leave a comment, smash the like button. And until next time, See y'all.